escaping the gas gouge. This is like the best kept secret. We probably don't want to be telling people, Tell right? anybody. <laughs> Your only option for cheaper prices at the pump, while BC refuses to offer any relief. Rebuilding Lytton. The debris removal work will start with the municipal property sites tomorrow. New funding from the province, with residents wondering what took so long. And chaos on an Okanagan highway. He pulled a gun at that point, shot at me, missed me somehow, point blank. Heroes pay a price trying to stop a carjacking suspect. How the chase finally ended. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Gas prices, once again the big story tonight, soaring past the $2 a litre mark in Metro Vancouver. And while heading south of the border to find a better deal is complicated by COVID restrictions, one American community wants British Columbians to know it's easy to get gas for less there because of its special status. Grace Key reports. At 209.9 cents a litre, the pain at the pump is becoming unbearable. As soon as you can travel freely across the border, I will be filling up there for the foreseeable future. What some might not know, there already is a way for you to travel freely across the border. You can get back into Canada without a COVID pre-entry test through Point Roberts. This is like the best kept secret. We probably don't want to be telling people, don't tell right? anybody. <laughs> It's a special exemption for remote border communities. British Columbians in the know have been traveling south more often since gas prices skyrocketed. So down here I'm going to pay 136 bucks for my tank and in Canada I'm going to pay 180, 180, 190 bucks. It's enough to take a drive, right? Before I was saving about 40 cents, now it's a, uh, today it's, I see it's 55. Which is significant. So you come down here, get a little gas, and get your favorite beer. That's the main thing. And the beer is more important. <laughs> Point Roberts Chamber of Commerce is trying to get the word out about the exemption, saying few British Columbians seem to be taking advantage of it. So people could come down here, double backs, they attend for a, a half an hour or half a month, and go back. They have to do a ride can, but they don't have to test again. And so that information is not getting out. As for the rest of the crossings, the federal public safety minister visiting Surrey border businesses gave no indication when more restrictions could be lifting. We want to get there, but we've got to get there at the right pace and at the right time based on the right evidence, and that's what we'll do. As for Melora Glenn, she travels from South Surrey and says the trip to Point Roberts couldn't be easier. There's no problem. Um, border guards know what to do. As long as you know what to do and you tell them where you're going and what you're bringing back, it's easy. The exemption has been extended until March 31st. Grace Key, Global News. And Keith Baldry joins us now with more. Keith, while so far this province has not taken any action to ease the price at the pump by reducing taxes, uh, Alberta is responding to the severe spike in prices. Yeah, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney, who's in some dire straits when it comes to popularity, is obviously making a populist move today, getting rid of Alberta's only tax on gasoline. That's not the case in British Columbia. A reminder here, the breakdown of taxes in Metro Vancouver is substantial. First of all, we've got the carbon taxes, 10 cents a litre. That rises to 11 cents on April 1st. The fuel standard tax, also a hefty chunk of the bill, 17 cents a litre. The biggest tax, though, goes to fund TransLink at 18.5 cents a litre. The provincial excise 
Texas taxes, eight and a half cents. It works out to total BC taxes to 54 cents a liter. There's almost 20 cents a liter in federal taxes on top of that. Obviously, a big bill faced by BC motorists. Jason Kenney making the announcement today that this is a move for him. It all depends on the price of oil by the barrel. If it drops below a certain number, uh, the taxes come back into play. But if it's over, uh, they are being dismantled. We're going to hear from him. And Public Safety Minister Mike Farmer says the only tax increase right now is that one cent increase to the carbon tax. This relief is based on a sliding scale for oil prices. When the price of oil is over $90, that's West Texas Intermediate, per barrel, the fuel tax will be removed completely. When the price of oil is less than $80 per barrel of WTI, the fuel tax of 13 cents per liter will be in full effect. And that protects Alberta's budget, it protects our fiscal health as a province because as those oil prices go up, so, do, so too do revenues to the provincial treasury. So this is a fiscally responsible measure the only planned increase is the one cent a litre on April 1st. And one of the challenges on the, that taxation side, as a number of uh, economists and fuel uh, experts have indicated, that uh, there's no guarantee that the price stays down and that the fuel companies don't just jack the price up to take, uh, to take advantage of the, uh, of the margin that you may have created. Uh, the reality is, is that there is significant instability in the energy markets uh, on a global basis. So no sign yet uh, in its early days on this of any move by the B.C. government to reduce taxation at the pump. Uh, but keep in mind now, the difference between filling up in Calgary and Vancouver is 47 cents a litre. That's a big difference between two provinces. Yikes. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Historically high gas prices could soon make a taxi ride more expensive. B.C.'s taxi industry is asking for the provincial government's help as it struggles with fuel costs. The industry says, unlike other sectors, it can't just raise its rates because fares are set by B.C.'s Passenger Transportation Board. It's asking the board to allow a temporary surcharge on taxi fares to help cover the cost of gas. This afternoon, the Transportation Minister says the board is dealing with that issue right now. I expect that they will uh, make a determination very shortly about uh, some of the things that they may do. They do have the tools around introducing a fuel surcharge, for example, which is what the taxi industry is looking for. Well, more funding is on the way to help Lytton rebuild from last year's devastating wildfire, with some of the work set to begin tomorrow. But as Ted Chernecki reports, the province is taking heat over how long this has taken with no clear timeline on when residents can return. It's been just over eight months since fire destroyed the town of Lytton. This community looks pretty much the same as it did the day the smoke finally cleared. That's about to change as the province announces another $18.4 million. This will cover the substantial costs of debris removal, archaeological work, and soil remediation for all the uninsured and underinsured properties in the village. The minister saying this is in addition to the $9.3 million announced last month to help Lytton get on a better administrative footing. But even though some heavy machinery is arriving, as is temporary housing for 30 construction workers, the mayor doesn't think home and business owners should expect immediate access to their properties. Once all the toxic materials are removed, then the townsfolks will be allowed to re-enter the town site. 
At the moment, the town site is still considered toxic. Somebody just a while ago commented on Lytton, uh, going through the town of Lytton, like going through an open casket and looking into an open casket. Eight months of that. The ministers asked how it is that the province can essentially rebuild two highways in a matter of weeks, yet it's taken eight months to get to this point for Lytton. The reality is in terms of the, uh, the weather event, it had a significant impact on the, uh, the timeline in terms of the debris removal uh, because a lot of the debris removal has to go to specialized locations. Uh, at the same time, on the existing road that was available, uh, there are uh, significant load limits uh, on that particular highway. The cleanup crews will start by targeting four buildings that are owned by the municipality. But eventually, the announced funding will go towards 200 properties. They can hardly wait to get the word that hey, the province is going to clean for the cleanup and they're starting tomorrow. Or the moment they hear the word, they're going to be happy. The minister couldn't say specifically how long it might be before the actual building begins. Ted Chernicky, Global News. B.C. is maintaining an indoor mask mandate and vaccine passport while our provincial neighbours have lifted both. And as Richard Zisman shows us, that leaves communities bordering Alberta dealing with the burden of differing restrictions. The Rocky Mountains provide a physical divide between much of Alberta and B.C. Now there's a new divide, COVID-19 rules. And it's become confusing. Uh, we try and do our best to ensure that people know that uh, the vaccine mandate passports are still in effect here. It's as simple as this. In Alberta, proof of vaccination and masks worn in indoor public places are no longer required. In British Columbia, both still are. And from Fernwood to Sparwood to the Alberta border, the difference is being felt. For those that enter that don't uh, choose to be masked, then it, uh, they don't force the issue because it's not worth the confrontation. Further north in Dawson Creek, just 15 clicks from Alberta, the frustration the same. This is not about the vaccine per se anymore because I've got a majority of the emails coming to me are people who have been double vaccinated, possibly even triple vaccinated, who are saying, I'm done. Uh, I need uh, to know what's going on. I want to get back to my life. And there's growing concern from B.C. businesses that come spring break dollars that typically would be spent in B.C. will be spent in Alberta, all because of the COVID rules. With spring break coming up, are we going down to Edmonton to spend all our money and go shopping or are we going to stay locally? In response to the concerns, B.C. health officials say the vaccine card and the mask mandate have both been successful and popular. And their future will be determined by public health and not politicians. With great respect, um, uh, I'm always interested in what Premier Kenny and Premier Mo have to say. But with respect to public health orders in B.C., we listen to Dr. Henry. That update is expected to come on Thursday, where B.C. will become the last province in the country to outline when proof of vaccine and indoor mask wearing will be phased out. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And BC's COVID-19 hospital numbers continue their downward trend. Let's take a look. We have 449 people in hospital. 63 of those patients are in the ICU. There have been 11 more deaths recorded due to complications of the virus. And we have 997 new cases recorded over the past three days. A cruise ship is set to arrive in B.C. next month, 888 days after the last one left port before the pandemic hit. In preparation, Ottawa is outlining new COVID-19 rules. 
the government says will keep travelers and people on shore safe. As Kylie Stanton reports, it might not be perfect, but the industry is at least welcoming the certainty. After a nearly two-year hiatus that left ports sitting empty, the countdown is on. We have our first cruise ship uh, due to arrive into Victoria on April the 6th. That's an exciting day. That's the first cruise ship that will come into a Canadian port since the ports were closed. So far, 348 ship calls are on Victoria's schedule this season, signaling the return of an industry decimated by the COVID-19 pandemic. Good morning, everyone. But not without strict safety measures in place. The industry will have to follow a robust protocol for the safe restart of the cruise ship industry in Canada. Under the framework, all cruise ship employees and passengers must be fully vaccinated, with limited exceptions, in order to be allowed into Canada. Passengers will also need to take a COVID-19 PCR test within 72 hours before they board or a rapid test within one day of boarding. And again, before disembarking in Canada, cruise ship operators and the Canadian Border Services Agency will be responsible for upholding the rules. This is an extra piece of work that the cruise lines will have to implement. Uh, we're committed to trying to make this work. Um, and uh, certainly this is the plan to um, implement for the first ships coming back. Hello, thank you. The real traffic is set to pick up in May. By then, there's hope the virus will continue to wane and the testing requirements will be relaxed. But for now, the industry that once generated $4 billion a year to the Canadian economy is just happy to have some guidelines to finally get started. It gives us some certainty about being able to move forward and to be able to confirm and plan for the 2022 season. Kylie Stanton, Global News. One of the chief organizers of the Ottawa convoy protest is now out on bail. Tamara Leach has been in custody since her arrest on February 17th. She was denied bail on the 22nd, but now she has been released with a bond of $20,000 and numerous conditions, including a $5,000 bond from Leach herself. She has been ordered to return home to Alberta and instructed to stay off social media, stay away from protests and not to communicate with other organizers who are also facing charges. Heartbreaking scenes from Ukraine. Residents forced to leave everything behind with nearly constant bombardment from Russian forces. The defiant message from the Ukrainian president next on the News Hour. Oh my gosh. Disaster for a heritage home in Penticton. What started the fire later? And recording the war in real time, how a young woman is documenting her experience living through the Russian invasion on TikTok later. Well, the humanitarian crisis in Ukraine is getting worse tonight as Russian troops continue their assault and intensify their attacks. As Aaron MacArthur shows us, talks to establish safe corridors for civilians to escape the fighting are making little progress. The shells continued to fall Monday night. The fighting on the outskirts of Kyiv, near constant. Civilians under attack from Russian airstrikes. Residential neighborhoods in the heart of the battle. This man said children lived here. Their father is a firefighter. Some of the most intense fighting now in the city of Irpin. Russian troops occupying part of this city. Power and heat have been cut off. 
Refugees forced out with nothing more than what they can carry. The sound is so scary and the whole building is shaking. And I and my children, we were sitting like half of night in the doorway because it's like the safest place. Across the country, the toll the Russian invasion is taking on Ukrainians continues to mount. The Ukrainian government says 200 schools have been hit and 34 hospitals. In Kharkiv, people are getting treatment under the threat of another airstrike. This man lived in a fifth-floor apartment. A missile struck below them. His neighbors are dead. The UN now estimates 1.7 million people have fled Ukraine. Evacuations from many cities have been paused after Russian troops continued to fire at the so-called green zones. As conditions continue to deteriorate, there are no good estimates of how many civilians are trapped. What are you about now? What are you about tomorrow? What will happen to Ukraine next? What's the next day? While Russian airstrikes have continued indiscriminately, ground troops have made slow progress into the northern parts of Ukraine. President Zelensky took to social media to show he was still in Kyiv Monday night and small armed groups posting about ambushes of Russian fuel resupplies. Despite being vastly outnumbered, Ukraine's defense still functional. This teacher-turned-soldier says he couldn't stay at home when his country is in danger. Another round of talks between Russia and Ukraine proved fruitless. Ukraine rejecting a Russian offer to take refugees in directly. More talks are planned, but the Russian invasion showing no signs of ending. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And amid the chaos and destruction, a little bit of romance. A Ukrainian couple fighting on the front lines against Russia decided to tie the knot. The couple, who've been together for 22 years, have an 18-year-old daughter. On Sunday, they got married on the front lines while fellow soldiers serenaded them, singing the Ukrainian national anthem. The bride wore a veil with her military fatigues and held pink roses for the ceremony, which was carried out by what appeared to be a military chaplain. The pair decided to get married because, quote, who knows what will happen tomorrow. Indeed. And coming up next, a wild ride at rush hour. It's a hell of a drive to work. A wild carjacking and chase and how these two guys faced gunfire trying to help. Also tonight, why no one is getting through this section of Highway 99 for a while. I'm Don Powers in Global One, taking a look at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Southbound's in great shape with four lanes. Northbound, also in really good shape. It only has three lanes, but honestly, there's good spacing between the cars. If you're going to the Queensboro Bridge, that's in good shape. And the East-West Connector is East-West Connecting. Get best in-class protection and savings with BCA Insurance. Learn more at BCA.com. I'm Don Powers in Global One, high above the Alex Fraser. A head-on collision in Kelowna's Glenmore neighborhood turned out to be far more than it seemed. It quickly turned violent with two men fighting off an armed suspect before RCMP gave chase. Global Sydney Morton has the details. It's a hell of a drive to work. No one expects to get in a fight, have a gun pointed at them, and to be bear-maced during their morning commute. But that's exactly what happened to two men in Kelowna's Glenmore neighborhood. I noticed a F-150 careening into my lane of traffic. He glanced off of Kai's 
Honda CRV, and then plowed directly into a red vehicle that was right in front of me. Head-on collision, debris was everywhere. So I swerved to miss debris, pulled over to stop while I was uh, on the phone with 911, trying to assess the damage. Kai yelled out that he was running over to my vehicle to try to steal it. Jameson then chased after the suspect he describes as more than six feet tall and large. I start sprinting back and he closes the door. I open the door and I just jumped on top of him and we start fighting. While we're fighting and wrestling, I didn't see anything else, but then he reached and grabbed a weapon and he said, I'm going to kill you, bro. I'm going to kill you, bro. And he shot at me and he somehow missed. And we wrestling and fighting. So I grabbed this gun and, and tried to wrestle the gun and, and the key, get the key out of the ignition. At some point, Kai came in to the vehicle, grabbed the gun, took it out. That's when he reached down on the floorboard. He had a bag with two other guns in it. I saw he had a gun. I heard him shoot at us. I grabbed it and then I tried to shoot in the air to scare him, but the gun had jammed, obviously. So I took the magazine out, chucked it, turned the gun around, smashed the gun. And then by the time he was going jujitsu on him. He realized that he was outnumbered, so he started making a break for it. He grabbed a large can of bear spray that he had hanging from his neck. He looked up at me and took his pepper spray out and sprayed right me in the face and sprayed him and then, yeah, booked it. Jameson says that's when the suspect ran and stole a different truck at gunpoint and fled the scene. They experienced, uh, I would argue, a, a potentially near-death situation, uh, all based on trying to help one another. And uh, that's a pretty amazing thing. Three hours after the incident on Glenmore Road, the suspect was arrested in West Kelowna on Grizzly Road. Sydney Morton, Global News. Friends and family gathered today for an emotional prayer service for a UBC Okanagan security guard who was attacked and killed. Prayers for Harmandeep Kaur, who was fatally attacked February 26th. Friends, family, former co-workers all gathered for the service in her honor. Cora's parents, who flew in from India, were also in attendance and were brought to tears as they entered the service. You know, it's touched everybody's hearts. Uh, the family is really moved uh, by all the support that they are receiving from uh, the community. I just saw her once or twice. She always came by. She was always a nice one. She always came by to play with my little puppy. I felt connected to her because we were from the same culture. We almost shared the same background. Cor became a permanent resident in January. A suspect was arrested under the Mental Health Act and could face murder charges. A 57-year-old man has been killed in downtown Vancouver after he was hit by a construction vehicle. Police say the man was crossing Hastings Street near Carroll around 10 o'clock this morning when he was hit. It appears the pedestrian was hit mid-block and dragged by the flatbed truck. The downtown east side is notorious for pedestrian safety, and the city has lowered the speed limit through that area to 30 kilometers an hour. Police say the driver of the truck is cooperating with the investigation. The expectation is that people will uh, obey uh, rules of the road, whether you're in a vehicle, whether you're riding a bike, or, or whether you're walking. We expect everybody to be responsible uh, to move around safely. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people, whether it's in this neighbourhood or in the city in general, there's a lot of people who are trying to move around the city, trying to get from A to B. We need everybody to do it safely to make sure everybody gets there um, without any serious incidents like what happened here this morning. ICBC says there have been 109 crashes at the intersection of Hastings and Carroll since 2016. 32 of those have involved an injury or fatality. 
A deliberately set fire has caused $100,000 damage to a Delta playground. The fire was spotted just after 1.30 Saturday morning in the playground at Chalmers Park. Firefighters extinguished the blaze before it spread, but the damage to playground equipment was significant. Park users say there have been a number of other deliberate fires targeting other facilities in the park over the past few weeks. Delta police are now investigating the playground incident as arson and asking anyone with information to contact them. Still ahead, another setback for one of BC's biggest cultural celebrations. Why organizers of the traditional Vaisakhi Day parade say they have no choice but to cancel it again. But first, disaster at a Penticton bed and breakfast. I'm Don Powers taking a look at the Massey Tunnel, which is in great shape right now. We don't have counterflow in anymore, but honestly, it's not needed. Two lanes both ways are doing the job just fine, removing great through the tunnel. With BCA car insurance, it's easy to renew from anywhere, from ICBC Auto Plan renewals to exclusive savings. Visit BCA.com today. I'm Don Powers and Global One, high above the Massey Tunnel. Penticton has lost one of its oldest and most important heritage homes in a devastating fire. Oh, my gosh. Fire broke out in a home on Lakeshore Drive, known locally as the Warren House. It was built in 1912 and had recently been operating as a bed and breakfast. Neighbors report hearing a big explosion just before the fire broke out. Firefighters struggled to keep the flames from spreading to the apartment building next door. The house was destroyed. Newly released monthly real estate statistics show buying a home in the central Okanagan is getting more expensive. And as Global's Claudia Van Emmerich reports, the problem is a familiar one to people here in the Lower Mainland. Buyers competing in a market with very little inventory. There aren't many for sale signs in and around the central Okanagan these days. But when one pops up, it's almost always quickly followed by a sold sign. Buyers are st standing in the wings waiting, so something pops up on, on the MLS system and everybody flocks to it. With demand heavily outweighing the supply, sellers in many cases are receiving multiple offers. I'm hearing stories 20, 30 offers in some places. It's, it's, it's just crazy. And well above the price they listed at. The lower mainland buyers and the Ontario buyers are coming in and they're prepared to pay 150000 over asking price per million dollars. So if it's a $1 million house, it's 1.150. If it's a $2 million house, they're going to they're gonna offer $2.3 million. Monthly stats released by the Association of Interior Realtors continue showing an upward trend for home prices while active listings remain in low supply. It's actually kind of a sad situation because our buyers don't have the opportunity to get in, especially the first-time home buyers. The number of homes for sale so low that this February saw a 33% decrease in the number of active listings compared to this time last year. And that has a direct impact on home prices. The low inventory continues pushing those home prices up. From January to February of this year alone, the benchmark price for single-family homes shot up nearly 5.5% and now sits at almost $1.1 million. But it's not just single-family homes going up, so are townhomes and condominiums. The benchmark price for townhomes is now more than $739,000, up by about 6% from the month before. And condo units are up by around 7%, with the benchmark price now at $550,700.
Well, it filters down. First, it starts with a single-family home. You can't afford one of those, you buy a townhouse. Can't afford a townhouse, then you, you buy a, a condo. So the condo run started about August, September of last year. That's when we started to see it, it moving up, and it continues to, to be the hot ticket right now because it's more affordable. And while the Bank of Canada raised its key lending rate by a quarter of a percentage last week to help fight inflation, many experts say it's not enough to cool the overheated market, at least not yet. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Kelowna. An intensive multi-year study is shedding new light on the extent contact sports can affect young brains. The study, done by researchers in the U.S. at Simon Fraser University and at Surrey's Health Tech Connects, measured the cognitive brain functions of youth football players who were not diagnosed with a concussion during the season. It found the athletes who suffered even minor head impacts showed a measurable decrease in cognitive brain function. Awareness now is, is a good place to start and really understanding that um, we want to limit the exposure to repetitive head impacts as much as possible. And that doesn't necessarily mean, uh, you know, avoid participation in sport, because I think we all understand the benefits of sports and team sports in, in particular. Uh, but truly just understanding that we need to be very cautious around how we deal with, with head impacts in sport. The athletes involved in the study were all aged 14 or younger, and the research findings matched similar studies on youth hockey players. Despite the ongoing removal of some of BC's COVID restrictions, the organizers of Surrey's Vaisakhi Festival have made the difficult decision to cancel their 2022 Khalsa Parade. Organizers say due to ongoing uncertainty over the COVID-19 pandemic, they've simply run out of time to put together the event. Scheduled for April 23rd, Romina Dea reports. The world's largest Khalsa parade cancelled for the third year in a row because of COVID-19. It's a tough decision, but it seemed like the right one with the uncertainty right now. A heavy decision given the magnitude of the day. Sikhs across the globe celebrate the birth of Khalsa in April. The parade alone in Surrey draws more than half a million people from all religions and cultures, sharing of food and dancing part of the festivities. While there are no public health orders preventing the parade from going ahead April 23rd, event organizers say they can't risk it, given the situation may change. If we get too far down the road, then exactly that, that we run on community donations and hundreds of thousands of dollars of, our, of community donations to us, which could be used for good programming in the Surrey community, uh, that would be lost. And that doesn't seem responsible to us as organizers. Organizers say they understand the stakes are high for businesses adding that 15 to 20 million dollars is pumped into the economy through things like food, clothing and tent rentals. We do like definitely from the heart feel for people that are already kind of like struggling through COVID. And it's unfortunate that for the third year in a row that uh, these individuals that are running these businesses that are really local businesses, uh, they're going to have to kind of take a bit of a shot again this year. It's unclear if Vancouver's Khalsa Parade, which attracts roughly 300,000 participants, will proceed. We're still waiting for a response from organizers. The pandemic not crushing all plans for the holy month of April. A key pillar of Sikhism is sharing. Ten days of Vaisakhi celebrations starting April 13th will still go ahead at the Gurdwara in Surrey and around the community. Romina Dea, Global News. Still ahead, wartime TikTok.
The young woman putting a modern spin on storytelling, sharing how she's surviving in Ukraine. And coming up later in sports, unsung heroes, why the fourth line is divine for the Vancouver Canucks. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Take a look at these beautiful northern lights seen in the sky above Sweden over the weekend. The spectacle, known as Aurora Borealis, of course, appeared right after dark across all corners of the sky. A local photographer said the aurora exploded four times in the sky, glowed green for hours. He described them as some of the best he had ever seen. That is beautiful. This is not. Highway 99 will remain closed until tomorrow, at least after a significant landslide came down near Lillooet. The slide happened near Seton Lake, uh, Seton Lake Round, sorry, about eight kilometers south of Lillooet. Crews have been on scene all day assessing the slide and beginning work to clear the debris. The B.C. Transportation Ministry says the route will remain closed overnight with an update expected at 9 a.m. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look at our weather forecast. Uh, coming off what a, a, like a spectacular weekend, Christy. Couldn't have been any better, really. I know a lot of people were out gardening, going for walks, biking, whatever it was, and a great weekend to enjoy. And then today, well, it was a bit of a gray day, tough start to the week, but we've got lots to look forward to, so not to worry. Here's a quick look at the temperatures, just to give you perspective. We were across at double digits, sorry, across Vancouver Island, we were at double digits. Uh, Metro Vancouver 9, which is seasonal for this time of year, but look at the temperatures in through the interior. Incredibly uh, warm there, where we're talking about well above seasonal values. 14 as an example in through a Soyuz. Uh, we can expect similar conditions as we had throughout the week, uh, but not necessarily tomorrow. Uh, here's a look at the air quality advisory that's in place, particularly for Vernon. There's a significant amount of dust in the area, and uh, they are concerned about anyone with respiratory issues or in urged to stay indoors. So uh, this is the reason we've got still sort of a northerly flow. Tomorrow morning, we're expecting a chance of showers across the lower mainland. That means snowfall for the mountain passes, Coquihalla, Allison Pass and also some snow expected in through those eastern sections, sort of from uh, Golden down towards Cranbrook. That is going to shift out throughout the afternoon hours. But those of you across southern Vancouver Island, you still do have a chance of showers as you had throughout the latter part of the day. So we're talking about Souk, uh, Victoria, possibly into Nanaimo, but it's more likely towards those southern tip areas that I mentioned, Victoria and down towards Souk. So that's for your day tomorrow, but then it clears out on Wednesday. And that's where we really transition into to that sunshine that I was as advertising. So there you go. A few flurries in through that southeastern corner. Some nice blue sky in through the interior regions. A chance of showers in the lower mainland in the morning. Lingering in the afternoon in areas like Victoria and possibly into Nanaimo. Uh, but tomorrow is just a slight chance. Not a lot of moisture. And then Wednesday we come out of it nicely. And it looks like we've got a fair amount of sunshine sort of Wednesday and into Thursday at least. Temperatures are going to be a touch cooler though. Tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Campbell River. Jennifer captured this. These are lenticular clouds. They sort of look like lens shapes or some, I, I sometimes think they look a little bit like a uh, UFO, but great shot. It's rare. I don't, you don't often see multiple uh, lenticular clouds like this. So thanks so much, Jennifer, for that one. Very cool. They're out there somewhere. <laughs> that they are. <laughs> All right. So Squire with a look at sports.
Yes, I am here. Uh, and so are the Canucks. They're back in town, back from that four-game road trip where they won three, including that win over Toronto on Saturday. Now they have seven straight at Rogers Arena. And on that road trip, their fourth line continued to impress. We're talking about the line of Yuho Lamico, Matthew Highmore, and Tyler Mott. You know, some nights it's, it's potting a goal, and other nights it's blocking a shot. To me, it's, it's the same mindset every night. When your fourth line is doing more than just checking, that's like having two desserts and not putting on any weight. It's all good. Well, now I'm hungry. Coming up later, TikTok Diaries. A young woman in Ukraine who's being compared to Anne Frank for her portrayal of life in a war zone. Warming up the nacho cheese and getting those 12-buck beers on ice for big homestand. Uh, the nacho cheese. Sometimes I wonder what's in nacho cheese. Don't. Don't ask. Don't. I know I shouldn't ask. It's like that weird butter they put on the popcorn. Shouldn't ask. The uh, Canucks are back for uh, seven straight games at home starting Wednesday when Montreal is here. A big chance, of course, for the Canucks with all those home games to get closer to that still elusive playoff spot. Now, Hockey, or one of hockey's great cliche lines is you got to roll four lines to win, which means you can't have your fourth line sitting on the bench the whole game because it'll mean less rest for your scores and dead weight on your roster. But the Canucks' fourth line is not only being rolled out there, some nights they're rolling other teams, literally and figuratively. We are talking about the line of Lamico, Highmore, and Mott. No, I don't think we look at ourselves and say, oh, we're just the fourth line. Giordano on defense with Adam Larson for the Kraken. Here's Lamico putting one in front. They score! Tyler 11 seconds in! The great thing about the fourth line, or if you like, the motto line, is in recent weeks, they've been giving the Canucks a bit of everything, not just checking. And sometimes that, that role changes a little bit. Sometimes we're checking, playing against top lines, and sometimes we're... We're matched up against other teams' third or fourth lines and you know, maybe an opportunity for us to chip in a goal or something. It's a versatility that would really serve the Canucks well should they make the playoffs because head coach Bruce Boudreaux knows he can put that line in his plans without any worry. I mean, their identity is they can all skate and they can all check. And so I, uh, for a coach, what, what I like about it is, is that I can put them out uh, against any line and usually have some sort of success. I don't have any fear because these guys can all defend and they can all play well in their own zone and that makes it a lot easier for the coach. No fear to the point where the fourth line started last Saturday's game against Toronto and they took the opening face-off in every period against the Islanders. The only thing that would break up this trio right now is a trade. And Tyler Mott, being an unrestricted free agent at season's end, could be someone management might think to move. But he hopes that's not the case. I'm going to work hard. Uh, that's what I've done throughout my entire career. It's got me to this point, and it's going to be you know, my way to, to continue on, to continue to have a long career. You know, it's, it's that time of year. Obviously, you guys and, and teams and organizations are making decisions, but um, you know, for me, it's, it's business as usual. Now, when Bruce Boudreaux was hired as the Canucks head coach back in December, he brought with him former Canuck player Scott Walker to be an assistant. But Walker right now is back at his home 
in Guelph being checked out by doctors for vertigo issues. And all of this stems from being hit by a puck on the forehead while standing on the bench in a game against Florida back in January. He took that puck in the head and uh, uh, I miss him terribly, quite frankly. And he probably had a few concussions back in the day that he didn't even know of. And, and that puck that hit him square in the head was coming 100 miles an hour. And, and, uh, uh, and he had vertigo. He still gets, uh, you know, a, a little bit. He, talking to him last night, he, he's, he sounded a lot better. So I'm hoping they find what's wrong. And I'd love to have him back as soon as I could because uh, I miss him. Should mention the Canucks brought up Sheldon Rempel today from Abbotsford. Now, speaking of head issues, headaches and migraines were what Tucker Pullman was dealing with when he left the Canucks on January 27th. But he was back at practice today. Looked like he was close to playing in a game for the first time in over a month. It was his first practice. And uh, uh, from what I've gathered, he came, came away from it uh, okay. Like he, he was a little tentative at the beginning, but I thought by the end he was, he was getting back to normal. And I guess it'll be a day-to-day thing with him. Um, I don't know when, wh- whether he'll play against Montreal or, or when he's going to start, but, you know, I mean, he, it, he's getting closer for sure. Well, after letting four goals in on opening week, Thomas Assault's shutout of defending champion New York FC on Saturday earned him a spot in the MLS's top team of week two. He made four key saves in the scoreless draw, none bigger than that one right there. Next up for Hassall and the Whitecaps is a trip to Houston for a game on Saturday. Both of those teams have a loss and a draw so far, but it would have been two losses for Vancouver if it wasn't for Hassall right there. Uh, Brent Pierce's BC rink from the Royal City Curling Club is 1-2 and two at the Briar after three games. They had a tough start. They had to face Northern Ontario, Manitoba, two of the best. BC will play tomorrow morning against one of the wildcard teams, skipped by Manitoba's Jason Gunslogan. And um, Atlanta Falcons wide receiver Calvin Ridley will not be allowed to play the entire 2022 season because he was caught gambling on NFL games last November. The NFL said he even made a bet that included the Atlanta Falcons to win. And he was doing it on his mobile device. The NFL comes down hard on this because it believes a player or an NFL employee who bets on NFL games puts the integrity of the entire league in question. Now, Ridley admitted on Twitter today that he did bet, but he said he only bet $1,500 and he does not have a gambling problem. He actually stepped away from the Falcons last season to address mental health issues, and the bets were made when he was absent from the team. He is the fifth player in league history to be suspended for gambling. There you go. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. Up next, documenting the Ukraine war where you wouldn't expect it, how a young TikToker is becoming an influencer in an invasion. Sure, we all agree that technology has changed pretty much every aspect of our lives, and that extends to how wars are fought and how the public see them play out. Including in Ukraine, where a 20-year-old Ukrainian TikToker has now become a key curator of news on the ground. 75 years ago, a teenager's diary became one of the most powerful accounts to emerge from the Second World War. Of course, the world would only learn about Anne Frank's diary and daily life under Nazi occupation after her death. But what if she, and others like her, could have shared their stories sooner? Does that mean we would have a different understanding of the war while it is proceeding rather than afterwards? From her home in Ukraine, 
Valeria Shashinok isn't keeping a traditional diary. Instead, like many people her age, she has a TikTok account, and her videos have gone viral. When you you follow somebody on TikTok who's just a regular person like anybody else is a regular person, and then the next day their country has been invaded, right? And their their daily life now is, uh, look at me in this underground bunker, uh, look at me in this empty grocery store. It makes the war real. Shashinok's videos are both shocking and familiar. A young life so entirely relatable here in Canada, suddenly upended by war. Her TikTok's now earning millions of views around the world. It's a remarkably powerful set of testimonies that everyday people are sharing. I think it's really important that these materials are being published and consumed in the middle of the conflict and not just after it's all gone. A documentation via viral dance app. It's now an accounting of history being broadcast in real time. A young woman's real life playing out amid so much uncertainty. Heather Urex West, Global News, Calgary. Incredible. It is, and it shows you the importance of humor, too, in mm-hmm. the middle of something like that. Uh, okay, sunshine, we can all smile about that. Coming up, Christy? Yes, we still do have a chance of showers overnight tomorrow morning, but otherwise we've got a pretty nice stretch of weather on the way. It is going to be cooler though, so make sure you pull out a jacket. We haven't needed it in the last little while, so I hope you haven't put them too far away, Uh, but at least we'll be enjoying that sunshine. Sounds good. Thanks very much, and thank you for watching, everybody. Have a great night. Good night, all.